Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. He's worthy. Hallelujah. I, uh, you know, as we were, as we were worshiping, um, the Lord reminded me, we were singing that one song about gates, and I'm sorry, I can sing a song and five minutes later have no idea what the lyrics are. I'm just gifted that way. <laughs> but uh, he was talking about the gates, and as, as we were singing it, the Lord just really uh, reminded me of uh, a, a message that I had shared. It, I think it was in 2010. Uh, and it was talking out of Psalms 24, verse 7. It says this, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. <laughs> he said, you lift up your heads, O you gates. I'll, and I want to share with you, I, I think the basis of what it was, where it came out of is if you'll look in uh, Chronicles when David established the tabernacle of David. It was something totally different than all other tabernacles because what made David's different is it didn't have walls and curtains. It had worshipers. It had worshipers. And as they worshiped around, he had worshipers. Listen, I, I know here we have long worship. <laughs> no, we don't. We have worship. Let me clarify that. I, I just say, I say that as you come to the river, God's prepping you for heaven. <laughs> because there it's 24-7. You know what I'm saying? They're right now, it's what's going on. They're worshiping him right now. Read Revelation. They're crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they'll get their mess together, and then somebody will cry out, holy, holy, and they'll throw it all down again. I'm just saying, He's worthy. He is worthy of our worship, and David understood that. That's why David was a man after God's heart, because David understood worship. He was a fighter. I mean, he was a king of kings, no doubt. He knew how he was strong in battle. He knew how to uh, wage war against the enemy and win. But what David knew most was how to worship. And we see that when he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel and... Uh, he danced so foolishly before the Lord that it embarrassed his wife. I'm glad I've never embarrassed my wife. <laughs> Lord, I apologize. <laughs> it wasn't the truth. <laughs> Love you, honey. But so much so that, you know, scholars differ on it. But it says from that point on, Michael never, she never had another child that she was barren. Now, I don't know if it was because she mocked the worship of the Lord, or if it was because David was just done with her. <laughs> Either way, she never bore another child. You know what I'm saying? You tracking with me? And as I look at that, David, you know, we were, uh, as I studied that out of David dancing before, just track with me, just try to hang on. I have no idea where we're going, but we'll end up somewhere. I promise that. <laughs> And I hope not to hurt you in a way. But as David worshiped before the Lord, and I've shared this before, but it just wrecks me that David, it says that he danced clamorously. That means he threw all dignity aside. I really believe that we're in a day that that style worship, and I'm not talking about when we gather corporately. I'm talking about that style worship. See, worship is not a 30 or a three song, a 30 minute, or if you're at, an hour, uh, at the, wor the river, an hour service. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is an offering of my life. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What happened at the temple when they would do worship? There was a sacrifice. Right? Well, it's right if you're not sure it is. I'm telling you. 
And the Bible says that as they would make sacrifice, the savor would come up before the Lord. It would be a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. Why? Because something had died? No, because, because forgiveness had been given. Because when he smelled the sacrifice, what he smelled is their sins are covered. Their sins are covered. That's why it was sweet to him. And as we offer ourselves that living sacrifice to him, it's a worship unto him. And I believe in this day that what the Lord is doing is he is resurrecting on the inside of believers a heart of worship. Because here's what I know about a worshiper. They are radical. A worshiper is radical. They're not consumed. David wasn't. He was the king. Do you understand? I don't even want to say the president, if the president came in here and just danced foolishly and worshiped the God because the Lord openly, because it's, it's bigger than that. Because you've got to understand, at that time, David, he had conquered the known world. And we don't have someone in that kind of power today. And the dignity that he was, you know, he was supposed to carry himself with, Right? The dignity he was supposed to carry himself with, he laid down for one that's greater than him. And when I say I believe God is resurrecting a heart of worshipers, what I believe is this, that God is resurrecting a heart of laid down lovers who love him more than they love themselves, who love what they know he, how he feels about them more than what they love others say about them. And those are the ones who are willing to lay it all down. I had the privilege yesterday to talk to John Kellogg. Uh, John is he's, uh, on our worship team. He's on our leadership team. He's one of our leaders. He's also the director of Kingdom Living Now, a ministry that we support. And John's in Africa. And uh, he's been in, in the desert, literal desert. He said, he told me, he said, Todd, I have to be totally honest it was more of an adventure than I knew it would be. He said, I'm glad the Lord didn't let me know everything that was going to happen because I probably wouldn't have done it. He said, I'm just going to tell you, it's just the provision of the Lord that we lived through some of the things that we lived through because it was, uh, it was so challenging. He said that, you know, there were a couple of nights he slept with one eye open because he, he said, I didn't get any sleep. He said, Water was limited. Food was just about none. And uh, he said, where I was sleeping was under this tree. And it was the kind of tree that the elephant likes to eat the leaves from. And he said, so I literally had to sleep watching because there was this elephant that, that wanted my tree. <laughs> and he said, it was my shelter from the elements. It was my shelter from uh, the sun. And he said, I was under it, and he said, this elephant, he said, you know, they won't eat you, but they can do a lot of damage. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? Yeah. They're big. They're big. And uh, he said that, you know, just the trek, he said, there were some places that we went that he said, I had no idea we could go, that were humanly possible for us to go. But he had gotten back into Maralal, uh, which is north of Nairobi, and as they were there, Jama, the, one of the, uh, the pastor in Maralal, who the, he went with uh, out into the desert, they were there, and they were talking. And he said that uh, some of the people they were talking to just began to weep. And uh, they would point at John. And John's the only white man in Maralal. He's not hard to pick out. And uh, he said they would point to him and they would just cry. And Jama came over to him and he said, I told him where we went. And he said they cried because they have family out there. And they didn't know how the family would be reached. Because they're the Samburu tribe. And they have uh, goats and cattle and they just travel. They'll go out into the wilderness hundred miles outside of civilization to find water and, and food for their cattle. And he said, uh, they, he said these people would weep 
because we went out to tell them about Jesus. And they said, they looked at John and said, you're a real Samburu. If you don't know John, John's real white. <laughs> He's real white. And I look dark beside of John. But he said, you're a, sum, you're a real Samburu. Why? Because John's a laid down lover. Literally saying, God, it's not my will, but your will be done. I lay my life down for you. For your gospel to be preached. People, they, he would send me texts throughout the week. And there was a, a Muslim family they encountered that came to know Christ. Out in the desert somewhere. And... Uh, I, I look at that, and the thing that's so amazing, they were coming down, they were coming from the wilderness, kind of in a little and going back out through the mountains, and they met this couple. John said it was the, uh, the only other white people I saw the whole time I've been here, and they were in their 20s, and they were missionaries, and uh, they said they'd been there five months and hadn't seen any rain. And the way they met, John and them were... Uh, trying to find shelter for the night because it was getting dark. They were in the mountains. It wouldn't have been safe for them to just camp anywhere out in the open. And this couple uh, had a little... It's, it's really not a place. What they do is they'll put a tent or something up, and then they take these bushes that look a lot like the thorn bushes with the real long thorns, and they'll surround their property with them so the animals don't come in at night. It's not like a fence. It's just like tumbleweed full of thorns around... So you don't come in. And uh, the rain was coming. And the couple said, we haven't seen rain. We've been here five months and we haven't seen rain. Pastor Jama said, and if you don't know the story, when John got there, one of the first miracles they said, and it was a notable miracle, they were in a famine. They were in a drought. They hadn't rained in months. The animals were dying. The crops were almost dead. And uh, John was preaching. And he said, I just feel the Lord saying, uh, he went to the 23rd Psalm. He says, he leads me beside the still water. Uh, he leads me to the green pastures. I'm butchering it. It's okay. You can read it. 23rd Psalm. It's right over from where I was just in, in Psalms 24. So it's just one over if you were there. But he said, he, uh, he leads me the, beside the still waters into the green pastures. And he said, these pastures don't look too green, do they? And they said, no. And he said, well, let's give thanks to the Lord because he's worthy. And the short story is, it started raining. And it rained, I forget how many days in a row. Miss Sandy, do you remember how many days it rained in a row? It, it rained like uh, five to seven days in a row. And uh, so they're here and they're meeting these missionaries. And these missionaries say, it hasn't rained in five months. And the bottom falls out. And they go, we can't believe this. Pastor Jama looked up and said, it follows us. <laughs> Pastor Jama said, the blessing of rain follows us everywhere we go. I mean, he just, he believes God. And everywhere they've gone, they've seen rain. These places, that's a miracle. That's not natural. It's not the rainy season. When they came back in tomorrow, all the other day, uh, they're eight hours ahead. I don't know if they came in Friday or Saturday. He and I talked yesterday. When they came back into town, everything was green. And the people said, look, the blessing of rain is still here. Everything is green. See, we, we don't think much about that. We get inconvenienced when it rains. You know why? Because our livelihood isn't tied to it. It's almost inconsequential to us unless it gets just really, really bad. In this area, we don't really see. But to them, it's life. And God brought rain as they prayed and gave thanks. And it's still raining. It's not raining straight, thank the Lord. But it's raining and everything is green. Everything is recovering. Isn't that awesome? That's the Lord. And you know, you can say what you want, but I believe that it's uh, the obedience of John to go that caused that to happen. That he was willing to take the word of the Lord on the other side of the world when it wasn't convenient, it wasn't easy. And see, that's what a laid down lover will do. That's what a worshiper, not someone who stands in front of the church and sings songs for 45 minutes or, or lay in the floor and sing songs, but a worshiper is one who says, I'm willing to lay my life down for the one I worship. 
I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to lay aside my goals, my aspirations, my ambitions for the one who's worthy. Does that mean that we all have to sell everything we have and live like monks and stuff like that? Absolutely not. That means that God can use you right where you are. He said, lift up your, your heads, O ye gates. You know what's so awesome about that? If yours is in the marketplace and you own it, you can lift up your head and guess what will happen? The king of glory will come in. You can create a place of habitation. See, I no longer desire a visitation. I desire a habitation. I don't want him to pass through. I don't want him a visitor in my house. This is the temple of the living God. I want it to be a place. And you know what determines that? Does he live here? Absolutely. He lives on the inside of me. When I became born again, it says that I became one spirit with him. I'm not trying to get him out. He's trying to get me to let him out. I'm not trying to get him in, I mean. He's just wanting me to let him out. He lives in me. Now, the, to the level that we're conscious of that and willing to lay down to him is the amount that we see that demonstrated in our lives. And see, I don't believe that God wants to supersede our will and make us a robot. I believe God gave us a will. He gave us a desire on the inside of us, something that makes us churn. I was listening to a teacher this week that was so good, and he was talking about children, and he quoted the passage, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. He said, if you study that out in the Hebrew, it says, train up a child in the way that he is bent to go. Train up a child in a way that he's inclined to go. And as you train up that child during, in that inclination, in that gifting the Lord's put on the inside of him, he won't turn from it because you'll empower him to be who God's called him to be. And what's happened in society is we try to make a lot of robots instead of a lot of originals. We, you know why? We see it in the church because that's what happens in the home. Dad wants son to be like him instead of him to be the best son he can be. <laughs> oh. So what we do is we rob their identity, and we wonder why they go through life and they have an identity crisis because they never knew who they were. Come on, church. And we see that in the home, and it just it matriculates into the church, and you have people who come in who have no idea who they are in Christ, so they try to gain identity by what they do, and when they can't do enough to feel like they are somebody or they're really making a contribution, they get hurt. They get offended. They get burnt out. Because they didn't know who they were. They never had their, ident their identity. See, our heart's desire is to help people identify who they are. First and foremost, you're a child of the king. The head and not the tail, above and never beneath. I remember Brother Hagin said one time, he was talking to someone, and they said, well, how, he asked them how they're doing. They said, well, under the circumstances. And he said, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> You're not supposed to be under them. You're the head, not the tail. Is that biblical in the New Covenant? Absolutely. Ephesians talks about him being the head. And that he's put Satan under our feet. That we're the body of Christ. That's who we are. Every part sufficient. Our identity must be derived from who he says we are, not who society says we are. David understood that. That's why David could dance the way that he did before the Lord, not worrying about, man, what are they going to think about me? See, David, we've said this before, David operated under a new covenant model. I'm convinced David was a new covenant man stuck in the old covenant. And you know what's sad today? We see, more new, we see a lot of new covenant believers stuck in the old covenant. How jacked up is that? <laughs> trying to be good enough for God to use them, trying to prove themselves so God can do something through them instead of accepting the finished work of Jesus and working from his righteousness. But David understood. He operated it as prophet, priest, and king. And if you study that out, that was something that was forbidden. How did David do it? Because David knew who he was. And here's David dancing before the Lord. And the way that David danced, and I had, I had shared this before, 
what was so significant about that is when a king would go out and it would conquer another uh, kingdom, what they would do when they would come back into town, well, first they would do it through their town. The, the town that they had, the, the kingdom they had conquered, they would strip the king. Many times they would cut off his thumbs and his big toes. His thumbs so he couldn't hold a sword and a, a big toe so he wouldn't be stable in battle. Because your big toe, that's the balancer. That's your foundation, if you will. And they would cut up, but they would make that king strip naked, dance before the conquering king through town. So as David danced before the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant was behind him. And what David was saying is, I've been conquered by one who's greater than me. And it's for him that I lay down my dignity. It's for him that I lay down my pride. See, I, I've said this many times before. In your worship, that, whether that be corporately here or at home, I'm not after an outward manifestation. That doesn't mean there shouldn't be one. But what I'm after is an inward transformation that takes you to the place where you don't care of what it looks like when it manifests. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And I, Acts says that, Acts 15 says, verse 16, Acts 15, 16 says, After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. What did he say? He was going to, what tabernacle did he say he was going to rebuild? Acts 15, 16, and 17. He said, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. What's happened to the tabernacle? What was this tabernacle? It was a tabernacle of what? Worship. Where 24-7 people recognized, acknowledged, and worshipped the King of kings and Lord of lords. He said, that's the tabernacle I'm going to rebuild. It wasn't a building, so we can't say he was going to rebuild a building. Solomon built a temple that was billions of dollars if it was built today, billions upon billions of dollars to build Solomon's temple and all the gold that was in it. It would bankrupt the world to build that temple. He said, that's not what I'm building because I'm not after men's edifices. I'm after worshipers. So when he says, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, I believe what he's saying is, I'm rebuilding a body of believers who radically worship. Now, my radical worship may look different from your radical worship. Here's what's so cool. Just like in relationship, that should be developing every day. My wife and I, this month, will be married 25 years. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. But you know what? Every day, every day I desire to know her more. 25 years later, I am not satisfied with when I said I do. I'm not satisfied with what we had Every day, I want something new. Every day, I want to find a new way that I can tell her that I love her, not just with my words. A new, every day, I want to find a new way where I can express to her how much I know that God blessed me with her. Every day, how much more our relationship with the Lord. That every day, I, I'm telling you, I know I've quoted him already, but Brother Hagin said this, if you try to outdo one another in love, you'll never end up in divorce court. You try to outdo one another in love, you'll never end up. You know when we end up in divorce court? When we, became, when we become the priority in our relationship. Well, my needs aren't met. Or my, oh, well. Help me, Jesus. He's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is falling down. I will rebuild the, who will rebuild it? I will rebuild the ruins, and I will set it up. That was the introduction. And I said, oh, Jesus, help us all. You know, this last week, last week we talked about Isaiah 54, and I was going to, uh, 
go back in that. I, I won't go back into all of it, but Isaiah 54. Uh, let me, uh, I will say this. Verse 14. You can make a note of it because I'm not going to be there long enough for you to flip there probably. Isaiah 54, 14 says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. And what will you be established? In righteousness. In your righteousness? Absolutely not. In his righteousness, you'll be established. That, that has to be our foundation. Here in Isaiah 54, the beginning of it, he's talking about, Sing, O barren woman, you have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. You, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. What, what, was John, what is John doing in Africa right now? He's expanding. Not just KLN, but the kingdom of God. That they're out in the wilderness. He's making those desolate places that were dry and barren bring forth life. I want you to know... Africa is not the only place that has barren, desolate places. It's not the only place that has barren, desolate cities. You look around and you look at the darkness, and I haven't arrived, but I've left. And the thing the Lord is teaching me is not to be discouraged by darkness. Because the Bible says in the last days there'll be darkness. It says, yes, gross darkness will cover the earth. But arise and shine because your light is glorious. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is brighter than any darkness. And when I look at darkness, and there's plenty to see, I've chosen not to set my eyes on darkness, but look at the light. And as I set my eyes on the light... Corinthians 3 says that as we behold him, we're transformed from glory to glory. From manifest presence to manifest presence. As we behold who? As we behold him. But this group of worshipers, I believe another trait or aspect, if you will, of these worshipers is they have a gift of seeing and being light even in darkness. That's why I said it might be, you might be in the marketplace. It's not that everyone has to come and, and worship around the clock 24 hours a day and pray and worship 24-7. No, if everybody in the church comes in the church, who's going to be light in the world? <laughs> yeah, shout me down. Thank you for those two groans and a mumble. Light shines. Light shines, and there's opportunity for us to be that light, to be that tabernacle of David, to be those worshiping ones, not the ones that walk down the hall singing at the top of your lungs. You know, if <laughs> Stephen says this all the time. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs a friend. You know what a friend is? A friend is somebody will tell you the truth. So if you don't have a friend, get one and ask them, when I sing out loud, is it a blessing? <laughs> Work with me. Is it a blessing? And if it's not, then you sing unto the Lord and you can walk down the hall rejoicing, just not singing. I know, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I got all that. I got it, I got it, I got it. But you don't want to run everybody else off you trying to reach either. <laughs> Amen. I sing like ain't nobody's business when I'm in my car. And I'm at the house all by myself. And sometimes I know when I hit the wrong note. <laughs> and I say, thank you, Jesus, I'm alone. Because I know what that sounded like to me. I can only imagine what it would have sounded like to somebody else who was listening. It would not have been pretty. Just get a friend. Worship always. Get a friend. And see, 
I want you to understand that worship isn't how the song you sing or how long, how loud or how long you sing it. Worship is the part of my life that I give over to Him. And here's what I believe about worship. And here's something the Lord stretches me in. Every time I come into a corporate worship, I want to give Him something I haven't given Him before. Are you with me? Let me make it practical. If you're a, if you're a sit-down worshiper, try a stand-up worshiper. If you're a hallelujah worshiper, try a hallelujah worshiper. Oh, but I wasn't raised that way. That's okay. We ain't talking about raising. We talking about worshiping. Isaiah 54. Verse 5. For your maker is your husband. (laughs) The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Who do we worship? The God of the whole earth. Verse 14. In righteousness you'll be established. You'll be far from oppression and you shall not fear, and, far, and from terror, for it shall not come near to you. How can you say that? Because when you're established in righteousness, you understand how much he loves you, that it's not your goodness, it's his greatness that's made you accepted in the beloved. And fear has no place in you, because fear involves torment. The Bible says, he who, is, who fears has not made, been made perfect in love, because perfect love cast out fear so where there's areas of fear in our life it's areas in our life where we don't understand the love of God completely are you with me it's areas where we don't understand the love of God completely is that condemning no absolutely not all it is is locating it lets us say hey here's an area I need to understand more about the love of God how do I find that out by going to the word of God and find out just how much he loves me in that area in righteousness shall be established, verse 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the, of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Do you think he reestablishes that? I do. He said, I want you to understand, those who can stand this way are the ones who understand that their righteousness is from me. So this week, as I, it was neat as I was uh, male. If you saw me on the phone earlier, I just want to clarify. I, I'm not so connected to the world that I have to make phone calls in church. Melanie, our worship leader, uh, is on her way back into town. She was at her brother's wedding in New Hampshire, and she's on her way back. And uh, she texted me, and she said, call me. I want to hear worship. Stephen's phone's not good. <laughs> Stephen's her husband over there. <laughs> And uh, she said, call me. So I called. I'm trying to do it discreetly and called and said, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. I said, okay, here, Tina. So Tina held the phone so Melanie could hear worship because <laughs> she wanted to be a part of the worship service. And uh, Monday, her and I, we meet on Mondays and debrief some and talk about ministry and what the Lord's, the direction and what the Lord's saying and what we need to take care of here at the church and things like that. And we were talking. I told her, I said, last week I was intending on sharing some out of Isaiah 43, and I said I didn't get there, and uh, so that was her and I on Monday, and I, we were meeting up front in the office, we didn't come back here, and um, so I came, I don't know what day of the week it was, I came, it was Thursday, we had men's prayer this Thursday, uh, Thursday mornings at 6.30 men, commercial, and I was in here before anyone got here, and I was worshiping, and uh, just walking around praying, and I looked, and Jessica had painted this last week. It was over on the corner over here. And it's the north. You see the, the star, the north, south, the east, and the west. Well, I had just talked with Melanie on Monday about Isaiah 43. And you go, okay. And I came in, and I looked at this. I had no idea that's what she was painting. And she had no idea that that was part of the scriptures that I was going to use in the service and didn't use. See, that's what, for those of you who are new, you see the ladies painting up front that's not art time at the river that's worship 
is prophetic art. And many times, here's what's so cool. I'll get to Isaiah, I promise. I had a friend of mine here last week who pastors the Lutheran church here in town. And uh, I met with him this week, and we talked about the service, and he told me he really enjoyed it. And he said, you know, something that, that really spoke to me was that painting that the girl did over on the left that had the north. He said, because I've been off for two weeks, and I've just been seeking the Lord. And he kept speaking to me about direction. He kept showing me a compass of the north, the south, the east, and the west. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, Bill, this week I'm going to use that painting as an illustration in my message, but then I'll give it to you. He said, are you serious? I said, absolutely. It's yours. He said, well, it'll be hung in a prominent place, either in my office at the church or in my home. He said, because God spoke to me greatly through that. It's his body. It's made up of many members, and they're Lutheran, and they're Baptist, and they're uh, Catholic. They're, They're in there. See, we can get caught up and short-sighted and just see our church and think it's the church. And it's a part, but it's not the whole. And it takes the whole to do what the Lord has called. It's the whole. It's the whole church, not just this church. You're, you're key in, in this outreach. But it's the whole church that's going to be that tabernacle of David that's resurrected, that worships him beyond circumstance. Amen. So Isaiah 43 says this, but now, Isaiah 43, 1, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have, I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. That sounds a little familiar. Nor shall the flame scorch you. You know, Daniel and his buddies didn't even smell like smoke. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather, gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witness that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may, remember the word the Lord brought out last week, know and believe. Know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, There is no Savior. Verse 16 says this. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. For those who say, well, well, you know, that whole parting of the Red Sea thing. There's a certain time of year when the moon, the gravitational pull, that there's a land bridge. There's a land bridge. Here, Isaiah is clear in saying, he makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth their chariot and horse, army and warrior, and they lie down and cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. I've said this before. I believe it was was the sea... Scholars believe it was during the flood season, so it would have been even higher. I believe God did what the Word says, that the water stood up like walls and they walked through. But if not, I'm going to give you grace today. If not, that means that where this passage right here says where they lay down, it means they got out on that land bridge that was ankle deep, and the Lord hit them that all of them, horses, warriors, and everything, fell face down in the water and drowned in ankle deep water. Whichever way you want to roll with it, it's a miracle. I'm not here to debate with you. It's a miracle. Isaiah declared, 
that the Lord smote them. So either ankle-deep water, all the horses and people drowning, or the walls stood up, and when the, when the children of Israel came through, the walls came down. That's what the word said it was. It was a joke for those who missed it. People go home, he's teaching heresy. Listen, verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the, old, the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Man, when I read that, I just jumped on the inside because I thought about John. That's, that's what John's been doing. As a worshiper of the one who is worthy, he's been out in the wilderness making a way. And they've, been, they've seen rivers because rain has followed them. I'm just saying, that, that's how big my God is. The wild beast, listen to this, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, to the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That they might what? That they might worship. That they might declare my praise. Listen, I'm going to try to draw it to a close. I normally get three of those if you're nervous, if you're wondering. Closings, that is. I'll try not to do it today. He said, behold, I am doing a new thing. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, here's the cool thing about new. You know what's so amazing about new? It's new. <laughs> that's deep, wasn't it? It's new. And many times something that's new is unprecedented. That means that there, there's not a model to make it after. You know what I mean? I, I, was, I was talking to someone, uh, one of the firemen the other day at the fire department, and he was reading something on his phone. He kind of chuckled. He said, I said, what is it? He said, well, the new prototype for the Ford truck, I don't know if it was the F-150, 250, 350, whatever. He said the new prototype just blew up. <laughs> it's the only one they had, and it just blew up in testing. I said, that can't be good. <laughs> he said, no, that's not good because it's new. It's the only one of its kind. And guess what? It's not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It, it's gone. I don't know any more about it than this. It blew up. It's just funny. But new. No. Where are you going with that? New. Something that hasn't been before many times. Something new is unprecedented. So that means that we don't have a grid for it. And the Lord said, I'm going to do something new. History has proven, proven the greatest hindrance to a new move of God is an old one. The greatest hindrance to a new, a fresh move of God is an old one because we look at the old one and say, this is the way it's supposed to be. And if it's not like that, then it must not be God. Jesus even said, and we'll see that in the New Testament, in Mark 2.22, he said, you can't put old, uh, new wine in an old wineskin because if you do, you're going to lose both. And he said, because the new wine is always doing what? It's firming, it's expanding. Old wine, it's done its thing, and it's just hanging around. And he said, if you put new wine in an old wine skin, it's going to bust, and you're going to lose the wine skin and the wine. He said here in Isaiah, I'm going to do a new thing. You know, it's sad. Here's what, I want, here's what I want us to learn from this. All of these prophecies were given to the most religious people of their day, and they still missed it. He said, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something new. And that new was Jesus when he came, when he fulfilled all the prophecies. But they missed it because they wanted it to look old so that it would be familiar. They wanted it to look old so it would be familiar because the new thing can scare them and mess you up if you're operating in the seen realm. And the Lord's been ministering to my heart this week. One of the things that he said, and I've shared this before, but he just, all I know to tell you is hold on. <laughs> because he's been telling me, Todd, what are you doing that's bigger than you? And that's what that word was about that you gave me this morning. Because I'm like, Lord, I, what does that mean? I mean, in the natural 
some of the things I can say is that this church, the river, our size, we bought land in the Dominican Republic, paid for the land, and there's a church building on it right now that's debt-free. And we don't own this building. We own the stuff in it, but that's it. We don't own a piece of land in the world in America. In America, not in the world. In America. Thank you, Josh. We don't, but in the DR that we do. And I go, Lord, that was pretty big. That was a big deal that, that you did. And he said, yeah, that was a year ago. <laughs> wow, Lord. He didn't have to go there. <laughs> and you know, I, I, I'm convinced that the reason most Christians or dissatisfied with their quote-unquote Christian life is because they're living it inside of their ability. They're not living a New Testament life that says, God, if you don't show up, this is going to blow up. God, you've got to do this. And you know why you have to know who you are? You know why you have to be a worshiper? Because if you're not, the first place you're going to go is fear. Because you can't figure it out. You can't write it out. You can't... Explain it away. You just know the Lord is saying, here's what you need to do. And you go, all right, Lord, I'm not stepping out into nothing. I'm stepping out into you. <laughs> Peter didn't step out of the boat into nothing. Peter stepped out of the boat into the word of the Lord. And in that word was the power for him to walk on water. It wasn't the water. God didn't even alter the laws of gravity because had he done that, it would have affected other people other than Peter. Listen to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? He didn't just alter the laws of gravity so Peter could hover over the water because if he had, there'd have been other people who would have messed up. The disciples might have shot up out of the boat into that space. This is my world. I'll let you come in for a minute. If I leave you too long, you'll get scared. That's just my world. Thank you, Lord. We're coming out now, all right? So they stepped out. He stepped out on the word of the Lord. And in that word was the power to perform what he had told him to do. And the same thing is true for us. When we have a word from the Lord, that word from the Lord, will be, it'll bear witness with, Scripture will bear witness with it. It won't be something ridiculous and out in left field. But it will be something bigger than you. And what I'm praying into, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, as, a, as an individual, I want to step into that. As the leader of this ministry, I want us to step into it. And in my mind, the things that I run through my mind is, Lord, what's that going to look like? Not what will it look like or what could it look like. What is it going to look like? Are you tracking with me? I'm not giving you the chance of might or maybe. I'm telling you we're doing it. What's it going to look like as one by one we become those laid down lovers that say, God, I worship you. On my job. Not that everybody quits their job, sells their stuff, and comes and sits at the church. You'll be lonely and hungry. But that they go right where I am right now. God, I become. That doesn't mean you become a fanatic that scares everybody off. It means that you take the gifts and the talents that he's placed on the inside of you, and you, became, you become a voice, not an echo. You don't become me or someone else you respect. You notice how I said that? Someone else you respect. You'll get that later. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. You know, in that place, you just become you and allow Jesus to shine through you. Because the reality is there's a hurting world around us. You don't have to look far. You don't have to go to Africa to see hurting, lost people. They're right here. And what they're looking for is hope. We, um, he said, behold, I do a new thing. 2 Corinthians 5. I want to give you some scriptures because I want to say something else, but I don't want to leave you hanging on this. 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Verse 16 is what I'm reading. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all, has, all the new has come. This is the ESV. 
All things have become new. He said, we knew Christ according to the flesh, but we don't know him that way any longer. What's he saying? We won't be limited by what's carnal because he's bigger than that. We will no longer be limited by just the carnal. What's the carnal? Your five senses where you can contact this world with this body. That's carnal. It doesn't mean sinful. It can contain sinful uh, actions, but that's not the extent of it. It just means anything that I'm of this world minded. That's carnal. And he said, we don't look at Christ after the carnal anymore. We look at him after the spirit. How can they do that? Because old things have passed away. All things have become. What did he say in Isaiah? I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing. You know what that new thing is? The new thing is God's not going to be shut up behind a curtain. God's going to live in me. This, you know, I've, I've had these epiphanies before where I just push away from the desk and I go, wow, how did I miss that? <laughs> My lightning fast mind, how the world did I miss that? And I think one of the things that got my wheels turning was right before we went on the, the DR trip, and uh, Ben shared. And, and one of the things that Ben said is, you've got to understand, the same Holy Spirit that worked inside of Jesus is working inside of you. Same Holy Spirit. <laughs> Put the brakes on. Hold on. Wait a minute. What? He's not junior Holy Spirit because he's in us. Okay, I'm going to take you a step further. He's very God. I'm taking a step further. This is what offended my mind. And he can be worshipped. <laughs> Whoa, flag on the plate. No, no, no. You've gone over into heresy. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. This one God manifested in three persons. One God manifested in three persons. It's not just that we worship. We worship the Father. We worship the Son. Holy Spirit is not junior. He's not what got left over when Jesus had to leave. He's God. And he's worthy of... That means we just stand around, worship Holy Spirit, worship Holy Spirit. But we reverence him as God because that's who he is. And we understand the same God that did all the beautiful, amazing miracles of the Bible is who lives in me. He's God. He's very God. And he's very alive today in me. Yes, I can. John 14, for those who are wondering, really, can you really say that? Yes, I can. John 7, John 4. Let's just get it. John 4, whoever drinks of this water that I'll give him will never thirst, but that water shall, that I'll give him will be in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. He's talking about the water, the well of salvation that he places on the inside of us, which is a person, it's not a thing, it's Holy Spirit. It's just what the word is, okay? You don't have a problem with me. You might be offended at me right now, but your problem's with the word. John 7, 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's talking to them and he's saying... Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to live in you. Right now, he comes upon you to do what I've called you to do. But there's coming a day when I go to the Father because I paid the price where, man's, where God's Spirit can live inside of man again, that he's going to come and make his abode on the inside of you. That's what makes us a worshiper, that his Spirit lives in us and it, it just empowers us in every area of our lives. He empowers us. Listen, John 14, Jesus, in case your Bible doesn't have the pretty red writing in it, what I've been reading is Jesus talking. Just so we're tracking. It's not someone talking about Jesus, it's Jesus talking. That's significant. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, this is Jesus talking about the spirit who will come, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen to this. Oh, this is so good. This is where, when the Lord brought this in about Holy Spirit and who he is to me, and then the reality of that was kind of offensive to my mind, that he's God that can be worshipped. And maybe it's not to you, but I'm just going to tell you where I'm coming from. 
what I was taught through school and things like that, Bible college and things like that. He said, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Who's speaking? Jesus speaking. He said that the, even the spirit of truth who will come, he hasn't come yet because I'm still here. He can't come till I go because he's part of me. I'm here, I'm in one location, but when I go, he's coming. He'll be in all of you in every location where you go. That's pretty awesome. I'm just saying. I mean, that would be just like every one of you having me to hang around with every day. Come on, that's awesome. Just trying to bring it down where you can get your hands on it. I'm sorry, I let you back in and I shouldn't have. Because some of you look really scared now. He said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's speaking of who? Holy Spirit. Then what's the next thing he says? I won't leave you orphans. Who did he, did he say, Holy Spirit's going to come? I won't leave you orphans. Holy Spirit's going to come. Who did he say? He said, I, I will come to you. He said, Holy Spirit's coming. But he didn't draw a distinction between here and Holy Spirit. He said, he's coming. I won't leave you orphans. I'm coming to you. Come on. That's good. So what we have to understand, in this journey that the Lord has called us to, we have the privilege to partner with Holy Spirit who lives in us wherever we are. Wherever we are, doing whatever he's called us to do. Just as we started earlier, in that unique personality, that unique gifting that he's giving you. And what's so sad is when you see people who were created and original try to become a copy. And you know what? It frustrates them and it frustrates everyone around them. Because many times... They don't even see it because they're so convinced that I have to be somebody else if I'm going to please God. That they try so hard to be that somebody else that they're repulsive to those around them. Because everybody can tell that they don't even know who they are and that they're not being who they really are. Is it only me or is anybody in the room? I'm telling you, God didn't create copies. He created unique, one-of-a-kinds. That's why every one of us have a different thumbprint. Because we're all uniquely made, crafted by his hands for his honor and his glory. He said that that they will bring praise to me. Wow. How awesome is that? See, I want you to understand, you're empowered as a believer with Holy Spirit, who is very God, who's chosen to live on the inside of us. That's why he said all things are possible to those who believe. Why? Because they're not operating in the energy of their flesh. They're not trying to make something happen that they don't have the the ability or authority to do. What they're doing is they're pressing into the one who is greater than all. He's the God of all the earth. And they say, God, you can do this. And they go, Lord, I'm willing to lay it all down for you. And in that willingness, there comes decisions. You know, it sounds like it's simple, but it's really not. I'm not going to mislead you and say it's simple. Because in that, when you choose to be one that's laid down, when you choose to be that one that was crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you choose to live that life, if they... (laughs) Newsflash, not everybody loved Jesus. In case you weren't sure, not everybody loved Jesus. Not everybody will love what you stand for. But you should not. Let me see. See how I want to say this. 
let them be offended at the word in you, not at your words. If they're going to be offended, let them be offended at the word in you, of, which is Jesus that's coming out, not at how you deliver those words. I used to tell kids all the time, words are packages. And some of them stink, and ain't no way I'm going to open it. I said that in love. So how we can have the right thing to say. You know, I was, last night, you can stand. I'll stop if you stand. Last night, uh, we watched the, the Holy Ghost premiere by, Dar- is it Darren, Will- Darren Wilson? That is, uh, he did the finger of God, father of lights, furious love. He, he did, those. I think father of lights was the third one. It's one called Holy Ghost. And uh, we watched it last night with Clint and Tish. And the, the whole premise of it was that Holy Spirit is still alive and still working in the earth today. And they were in, um, they went to Salt Lake City, Utah. If you... That's Mormon country. That whole city is Mormon. And uh, we're not going to get into that just now. But anyway, they believe differently about Jesus than we do. And uh, there was a guy there standing outside the gate of the school, Brigham Young University. And he sounded like he was from London. And he was just screaming at the people about repent, turn from heresy, and things like that. And uh, these guys that were making the movie went up to him. And they started talking to him, and uh, they asked him, said, how long have you been doing this? And he said, was it 13 years, 30 years, 30 years he had been doing it. And they said, how many converts have you had? He said, about five. Is, are those five important? Absolutely. He was doing five. But what he was doing is he was condemning, not revealing and these guys, they went up and he talked. He was a, man, this is, should really be short. And I'm trying to make it long and I'm not trying to. The, the gentleman's preaching was a cessationalist. That means that he believed that the gifts of the Spirit, he believes the gifts of the Holy Spirit died with the apostles. Are you with me? Signs, wonders, and miracles. They died when the apostles died. It's funny how we can twist the scripture to say what we want to say. I won't get into all of that right now, but. That's not what we believe here. We're not cessationalists. We believe that the same spirit that was alive when Jesus was on the earth is the same spirit that's alive in us right now, and he's doing the same things. Because he's the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same. So they, they, he was talking about, you know, those things stopped, and he said, you know, how people just believe they can go give somebody a word and pray for them, and there'll be healings. And he said, I think that's taking prayer out of context, and I, he really never could explain himself clearly. And this isn't about him. And they said they came to mutual ground. They loved on this guy. They prayed for him. But what I, the point that I was coming to is they went across the street, and there were four young boys there in their teenage years, and they began to minister to him, and they began to give prophetic words, and they began to pray for him. And one of the little boys was healed right there on the spot where he had been injured. He was healed, and he said, I, I felt it. One little boy, these are not believers, All right? One little boy, as they were praying for him, he started doing this. He said, what's the matter? You feel weak? He said, yeah, I felt like, I don't know, but like I was weak. (laughs) And they were praying, and he gave a prophetic word to another little boy and started talking about things that was going on. It may have been the boy that was healed, about things that was going on in his dad's life and things that were going on in his mom's life. All four of those boys in 30 minutes gave their heart to the Lord. 30 years, five converts. 30 minutes, four converts. The difference condemning and telling what everything that you're missing, that you're not, and then revealing the heart of the Father. That's what he's called us to do. Do we stand for righteousness? Absolutely. Do we make light of sin? Absolutely not. But even in that, what you can do is you can speak to who God created them to be, not what they're manifesting. And you can speak life into them. Jesus desires in us to do a new thing. I, I, don't, I personally don't believe that was just we got born again. It was a new thing. I think every day, and this is what I'm growing into, every day we wake up, Jesus wants to do a new thing on the inside of us. He wants to give us a new aspect of his glory, of his power, 
of his authority. But you know how we see that? We take risks. This is one other thing they said in the movie. Is they said, how do you learn to follow the Holy Spirit? You learn by taking risks. You learn by stepping out. And they, Bill Johnson was interviewed on it, and they said, he said, when I taught my kids how to ride a bike, I took them to a grassy field so that when they fail, not if they fail, they wouldn't get hurt. So what are you saying? Even in learning, you know, we went to the DR, uh, Dominican Republic, where the church is this, this summer, and it's funny to hear a bunch of Southerners try to speak Spanish who don't, who don't know Spanish. It's really rather comical. Especially when we went our first year and Stephen was speaking English and the translator said, is that English or Spanish? <laughs> he didn't know what he was speaking. <laughs> Love you, buddy. <clears throat> but you know, how, you know how you learn that language? is by trying. And you may butcher it. But you know, here's what I've seen, is even though you butcher it, everybody may laugh, but the people you're trying to reach appreciate it because they see that you're trying. And here's what I'm telling you. We won't ever learn the voice of Holy Spirit and be true worshipers until we're willing to take risks, to get outside of our comfort zone. You know, it was a risk for David to dance that way. He could have been stoned when he stripped himself and danced before the Lord. They could have been dethroned and everything. But David said, it doesn't matter because this is all that matters to me is him and his glory.